Verses 7 to 15 of Romans chapter 1 are particularly personal between Paul and the church in Rome. And he really opens up his heart towards them and he talks to them in real time as he's writing about what they mean to him, how it's high on his agenda that he should try to get to be with them and to visit them. He longs for that mutual spiritual encouragement which always ought to be the experience of God's people whenever they're together. And he begins this next section from verse 7 with this familiar greeting which you'll find at the beginning of all of his letters. The only variation being that in the three pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus, he adds the word mercy as well as grace and peace. And I did say last week that we'll pick up the pace a little as we progress through this letter, and we shall from next week. There's a specific reason why I've ended up not covering verses 7 to 15 this afternoon. And that's because as I was studying and preparing, I remembered that we'd be concluding by sharing the Lord's Supper together this afternoon. And it just seemed right to me that focusing in on that little phrase at the second half of verse 7 would actually combine to be a very fitting way for us to prepare our hearts and minds and lead us into that time at the end of our worship this afternoon. One Christian writer suggests that to desire what Paul says here, grace to you, peace from God our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to desire that for a Christian or for a Christian church, you really have wished them everything that God has for them. There is nothing of any significance or importance which is not bound up in that simple phrase. And we're going to break it down in its three obvious constituent parts and consider it this afternoon. First of all, Paul says, grace to you. Now, I mentioned grace last week at verse 5. Grace for the obedience of faith. And in that verse, Paul actually says, of Christians, we have received grace. So if he knows they've already received it, why does he then express his desire here that they might receive grace from God? Why does he want them to receive what they've already received? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. You see, grace is not a commodity that you either possess or don't possess. Grace is the active outworking of God towards you. And so to speak of God's grace is to have in mind all of the blessings and benefits and privileges that God wants you to know and experience and enjoy because he is gracious. In verse 16 of John chapter 1, we read this, Of his fullness, of God's fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. You've received grace for grace. The grace of God comes to us in the gospel so that we might know and continue to know and continue to experience the grace of God in our lives day by day. It begins with grace, 
but it continues with grace. We've just been singing about that in that hymn. They were the words. It was all about grace continuing in us and for us. Now, of course, the grace of God is most fully and demonstrably seen through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes through him. We read in verse 17 of John chapter 1. Because he himself is full of grace and truth. Verse 14 of John 1. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul says this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That through his poverty you might become rich. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus. And I hope it's clear from the things that we looked at last week that your coming to faith in the first place is the direct result of the active outworking of God's grace toward you and within you. So, writing to Titus, Paul would say, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You cannot be saved without it. Writing to the Ephesians, in, in the introduction to that letter at verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And later on in Romans, we'll be reading these words, justified freely, by his grace, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So this grace that Paul's talking about, it's, it's at the very center of everything to do with what it means to be a Christian and what the gospel is all about. In our lives, this grace is manifested to us by God. And that actually is the work of the Holy Spirit. We actually read that in Zechariah chapter 12. And we read it in Hebrews chapter 10. Where the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. He brings God's grace to bear upon your soul. But this grace which God has for his people continues to extend towards us. And all of his gifts and graces come to us as Christian people because of his ongoing grace towards us. It's an active thing. So listen to Paul's personal testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now listen to how he phrases it. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So as you look at the Apostle Paul, and as you see the stunning transformation that occurred in his life at his conversion, as you see his zeal 
for faithful service to his God and Saviour, as you see the gifts with which God has equipped him for that service, as you see his total dedication to Christ and to the preaching of the gospel, as you see his unparalleled love and concern for Christ, for the cause of Christ and for Christ's church, as you see him persevering, pressing on, even under the most arduous circumstances, even under the most severe persecution, and to do so with joy and with thanksgiving? How do you explain that? How does Paul explain that? The grace of God. Over and over and over again. A steady, unceasing supply of grace and in that stream of grace and by that stream of grace which flows out from God in that stream of grace is God's unfailing supply for all of his needs elsewhere Paul would say God said to me my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will most gladly, uh, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul there associates the grace of God with the power of Christ resting upon him. The two are inextricably linked this grace, Paul is saying in verse 7, this grace to you is what I desire for you. Just as it has been, just as it continues to be for me. This grace brought about God's salvation plan. This grace brought about your election in Christ even before the world was made. This grace brought Christ into the world and took him to the cross for you. This grace brought you to saving faith. If you're a Christian, this grace will keep you in the faith if you're a Christian. This grace will supply your every need. This grace... I mentioned in an email yesterday a series of interviews with retired pastors. I use the word retired loosely, Keith. Heath Evangelical Church have these Sunday evening series of interviews. And uh, imagine the Apostle Paul in something similar in his day. So, Paul, how would you sum up all the things that you've been able to accomplish? If you had one final message for Christians before you leave the stage what would it be Paul if you had one final prayer for the churches what would it be well that's easy my answer to all of those questions is this grace this grace to you from God uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones comments like this Paul is wishing that they might enjoy every blessing that it is possible for a Christian to experience. 
that this wondrous attitude of God towards us in love, in spite of our sin, may manifest itself to them in all its fullness and in all its glory. That's what he's asking God to do for them. Because this is what God does for those whom God draws to himself, to you if you're a Christian. And shortly we'll be reminded of the lengths to which God was prepared to go in order that you might have blessings like this. Grace to you. And peace. Peace. Peace is the natural accompaniment to this grace. If there's just one thing which really makes a Christian stand out in the world, perhaps above any other thing, maybe we could say it's the peace that a Christian has within their own soul. To have the testimony that it is well with my soul. What turmoil and despair there is in the world. Now, of course, Christians will experience all kinds of trials and difficult circumstances. We'll not be strangers to worries and concerns and fears. But even in the midst of turmoil and despair, those who are in Christ possess a peace in their soul which can never be overwhelmed. Because that is the direct consequence of this grace in the life of God's people so many people in the world find themselves in an unbreakable cycle of restlessness and uncertainty that just produces in them a complete sense of hopelessness some are gripped by a growing terror others just feel more and more lost and empty those who are in Christ are set free from those shackles on your heart and on your mind. You're set free from that. Now, you'll still react emotionally to all the varying scenes of life, as one hymn writer puts it. Of course you will. When you're a Christian, you don't become emotionally anesthetized. You don't. Maybe you're glad to hear that from a pulpit. You don't. You feel it. But there is this constantly flowing undercurrent of peace within your soul isn't there and this is so firstly because God himself is now at peace with you that's the first part of it in your sinfulness you made yourself to be an enemy of God in your sin you were a lawbreaker you were idolatrous because you set up for yourself other gods in your own heart and mind a blasphemer. You cursed God. People blame God for anything and everything at the drop of a hat. In our sins, we're insolent and we're arrogant. Because, well, didn't you think before you were saved, you, could get, you can get along quite nicely in the world, thank you very much. You can work all this out for yourself. You've got, well, you're a sensible person. You've been well educated. You can, you can sort this world out. Even though, of course, every single day you were the receiver of many countless blessings from God's gracious hand towards you. In your sin, God's anger is upon you 
because you've turned away from him, you've disobeyed him, you've rejected him. But because of his grace, and by means that all that he's done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, his own son, God has reconciled you to himself so that he now is at peace with you. God's done everything necessary so that your sins are now pardoned and you may be forgiven because you've been loved with an everlasting love. All that stood between you and God, all that separated you from God, God himself has dealt with it for you at the cross. All of his wrath and condemnation was poured out there. The penalty for your sin was paid the record wiped clean by the blood of Christ, whose own righteousness was credited to you. And God the Father now looks upon you as his adopted child. And he has only love for you as a Christian. And he pours out his grace to you. Because he now is at peace with you because of what his own son has accomplished. That's what God sent him to do. God's anger over you is gone. He's at peace with you. And therefore, you now are at peace with him. You have nothing to fear. The strife between you and the eternal God is over. Christ sorted it at Calvary. Are you fully at peace with God? Because you can be. As a Christian, you should be. Sometimes we're not. Let me ask you something. If you're a Christian, are there truths in the Bible which you yet find, well, a bit irksome? Truths in the Bible that you've not yet managed to settle in your mind. You can see that that is what the Bible says. Or perhaps you prefer to say, I can see that that's what the Bible seems to say. But you're not at peace about it. There's a sense, perhaps, in which you kind of still hold a grudge against God over that particular verse. You're not at peace. God's grace is the answer. The grace of God to you. The grace of God in you. So that you may increasingly... Just submit yourself to him. As the depth of that grace sinks ever deeper into your own soul. And, well, there's no better place to, to sort out those issues than as we come together with the bread and the cup. Remembering the Savior's death on our behalf. And remembering again the depth of the grace that God has shown to us. To be reminded that God loves me this much. And to remember again God really does know what is best for me in his infinite wisdom and goodness. His ways are right and just and true. Because he is right and just and true. Why should I not submit my all to him? Because me and God, we're at peace now.
And the Lord's Supper is a means of grace to you. It's a place to humble yourself before him in thankfulness and adoration. It's a place to yield and to submit. He only wants you to be at peace in him. He's done everything so that you can be. So let him. Let him. Or for someone else, maybe you continue to harbor a particular sin. Or maybe you're even feeding it. And so on account of that, you're not as fully at peace as you should be because this is an issue that still needs to be resolved. And those kinds of things will also keep you from fully experiencing this peace within yourself the way you should. God at peace with you. You at peace with God. And you being at peace within yourself. This turmoil and despair that so grips people, controls people, paralyzes people. Some people are talking about not being able to go abroad on a holiday this year as if they've nothing left to live for now. Christians don't talk like that, do you? All their hopes pinned on this thing happening, being able to avoid that. It's all so uncertain and unpredictable. You've been set at liberty from all of that. Because you're at peace with God. And God is at peace with you because of Christ, because of this grace. Such love, pure as the whitest snow, such love weeps for the shame I know. Such love. Paying the debt I owe. Oh, Jesus, such love. Such love. Stilling my restlessness. Such love. Filling my emptiness. Such love. Showing me holiness. Such love. And this should show, this should make a difference as we rub shoulders with people. People in the world. Here's someone who doesn't rub me up the way everyone else does. Something, something about this man. Something about this woman. What is it? Grace. Peace. That's what you've got that they lack. And in the church, and especially in the church, we're to be at peace with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, says the Apostle. Grace enables you to do that. The world cannot be at peace with itself. It doesn't have what it takes. It's too selfish, too proud, too self-seeking. People in the world can't be at peace with each other because they do not know and they do not possess God's grace. They do not have this stream of grace from God the way you do as a Christian. And so I'm without excuse. You're without excuse. There's no excuse whatsoever for Christian people not being at peace amongst themselves. There's no excuse. Grace to you. Peace from God should mark us out. 
And that verse from Ephesians chapter 4, I quoted it before, it contains one almighty hint as to why these things really are within our grasp as the Lord's people, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, that grace is working itself out in each of us because of the presence and the work of God's Spirit within you, within me, within us. Because this grace and this peace is from God to you. It comes from God. And it's for you. And it's to you. You see, it's because of the integrity of the source of these things that Paul is able to speak of this grace the way he does. And it's why he speaks of this grace and this peace every time he puts pen to paper to write to someone. It's because God is such a faithful and reliable and willing giver of grace. That's why Paul says this. You have a heavenly father who gives this grace that you may have peace. You have a savior in God the son who personally came into the world in order to flesh out this grace of God by going to the cross and rising from the grave. God's grace is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling towards you. God's grace is not, a, not just a good intention on his part. It moved him to act for you in Christ. It moved him to act in your favor at the cost of his own son. And it moves him still. If God will go to such extremes 2,000 years ago, if that is the demonstration of the depth and the extent of his love, which the Bible says it is, why would he withhold his grace from you now? With Christ risen and victorious at his right hand, and with all that even now is being prepared for you, that you might spend eternity at peace with him. Paul knows this. Paul understands this. God is grace. God is peace. And you have these things from him. And it's Paul's prayer and Paul's longing that you would know and understand and experience these things more and more and more. Such love springs from eternity. Such love streaming through history. Such love, fountain of life to me. Such love. Now, Paul here in verse 7, he doesn't actually mention the person of the Holy Spirit, but he's already mentioned the Spirit's work at verse 4. But when he says all of these things are from God, we're to understand it like this. All of this has its origin in God the Father. It's all been made possible through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it's made effective within each of us individually and amongst us as the Lord's people through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit's work. As Paul proceeds in writing this letter, he'll keep reminding, of, reminding us of this fact. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. 
There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so he goes on. This is the Spirit's work to bring this grace of God to you and to keep on bringing and to keep on bringing. Indeed, when we get to chapter 8, Paul there will make mention of the work of the Holy Spirit no less than 19 times in that one chapter. And when he gets to the end of his letter at chapter 15, he'll say this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So although the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned there specifically, this is the triune God pouring out his grace to you and upon you. Because everything about your life as a Christian has come from God to you and continues to do so every moment of every day. And to such an extent that even when we all get to glory, God himself will continue to be our light and our life all through eternity. These are the glories and the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're only at verse 7. Wait till you get to the rest of it. This is what lies at the heart of what we're about to remember as we share the Lord's Supper together. This is why the Lord's Supper is a means of God's grace for our souls. This is why the Lord's Supper, by the way, is only for Christian believers who have this assurance deep within their own soul. This grace is mine. This peace is mine. It's come to me from God, my heavenly Father, and through Christ, who is my Savior and my Lord. If you're not a Christian this afternoon, as we move into the Lord's Supper in a few moments, I want to ask you not to partake of the Lord's Supper. But I very warmly invite you to remain with us. No one here will judge you if you don't partake. Indeed, we'll value your honesty. And more importantly, you will spare yourself added judgment for a false declaration of faith before God. And it will be our loving prayer for you that as we share these elements together, that God, by his grace, will speak to you, convince you of your need of salvation, that there is no other name on earth given amongst men by which you must be saved. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us here saved ourselves. None of us could. We did not believe until God first moved in us by his spirit. And may he, if you're not a believer, may he in his boundless mercy and grace be pleased to reveal himself to you even now that you will call upon him in repentance and faith and be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? What do you need to be a Christian? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.